Welcome, everyone, to Two Guys to the Dark Tower Came, a podcast where we discuss the characters, connections, and deeper meanings of Stephen King's magnum opus, The Dark Tower. I'm Jay Russo. And I'm Sean McGurr. You can find more information about the podcast at twoguystothedarktowercame.com. You can also email us at twoguysdarktower at gmail.com. In this episode, we will wrap up our discussion of Book 5 of The Dark Tower, Wolves of the Kala. Let's start the show! So a short book recap. Roland and the Cotet travel to Kala Bryn Sturgis, a farming town near Thunderclap. The townspeople ask them to help prevent the wolves that come every generation and steal children, specifically one of the twins that make up a typical childbirth. The children are eventually returned, but returned ruined. One resident of the town is Father Callahan from Eddie, Susanna, and Jake's Earth, where he fought vampires, as told in Salem's Lot. With a few visits through a magic door back to New York City, the Cotet also comes up with a plan to save the Rose and the Tower. The Cotet is able to defeat the wolves, but Susanna, who is pregnant with a potential demon child and exhibiting a new personality, Mia, escapes to New York City using Black 13. Nice recap. It's amazing that I could get 700 pages down to one short paragraph. So one thing that somebody mentioned to me, maybe perhaps before he started reading book five for the second time, was that this book in some ways seemed like Stephen King fanfic to some extent from his memory. Yeah. I don't know who that could have been, Jay, but I remember him thinking that, that he thought that this maybe had been in some way a... I don't know, a lesser Dark Tower book or just one that didn't seem to fit the whole vibe of the Dark Tower as he remembered it from the first four books. Is this Stephen King fanfic or is it more than that, Jay? I'd say no. In any way that this could be interpreted that way, I think it rises above fanfic because A, Stephen King's writing it, not a fan. But more importantly, King does such a great job with this story that while this is almost entirely a diversion from our character's quest for the Dark Tower, their mission and their long-term goal to reach the Tower. I was never impatient about that. Mm. I never found myself thinking, will you please get on with this so that you can get on with following the path of the beam, you can get on to the Tower. I found myself impatient with the story about the wolves, but only in the sense of, how a good story leads you on and wants you to expect more and makes you hungry for what happens next. I wasn't impatient for the story to be over with. Mm. I really enjoyed this book. This is a great book. Yeah. It's a great story. We talked in our last episode how there's a lot of metafictional aspects in this book and a lot happening with the different characters, and but it doesn't seem in any way out of touch with the rest of the story. In fact, I think from a metafictional standpoint, King's been building up to this for a while in book three and four, to some extent, where we get a little bit of the Wizard of Oz, a mention of the stand, going in between different worlds. And you know, even further back, there's been crossover between our world and their world as early as book one. But even the retrofitted novel when through the keyhole is a lot of that storytelling that's sort of inserted into the into the broader story. So it doesn't seem out of place in any way with anything we've read thus far, even though that this book came out so many years between book four and book five, it doesn't seem like 
it's out of step with the rest of the series. It seems like one of part of the whole. And I worried that the person who told me that it was fanfic meant that I was entering a new phase of the tower that's entirely different than what's come before. I didn't think that that was the case in reading this. You can make the fanfic argument in that this is genre-specific story with a familiar structure that is told in the framework of characters we know from something else. Hmm. That's sort of the definition of fanfic, except that it's told by or made up by somebody who is a fan of those characters and wants to see them in a similar or related setting, but not something that the original author ever thought of or cared about. But this is King. This is him telling his larger story. And these are important developments that are nestled inside of this very genre-specific Western. And in some ways, the Western is a return to form for the Dark Tower. Yeah. Book one was very much a Western with sci-fi and horror elements. We veered pretty far away from Westerns after that. A whole book spent on a beach and jumping <laughs> through magic doors is not a Western. Fighting robot bears and traveling along a magical high-tech path, also not so much a Western. Right. This is our return to the Dark Tower's roots, maybe, in a sense. And I kind of like it. There's also a, an even deeper level of world building that King, like he does it with language, I think is the, the final layer of icing on this cake of the Dark Tower, where he's been establishing little things here and there. We get the idea of genetic anomalies or mutations. We get this idea of uh, wastelands and forgotten technology. But when we went through Tull, it just seemed like an old town that was very much apart from larger cities and civilization. Not necessarily that it was full of mutants or full of strange things. King fully embraces it when Roland goes back to Magus. Mm. And we start getting things like stuffy guys and that little world building mythologies and details there. We get a sense of seasons and seasonal celebrations and universal constructs of how society worked when it was all connected to itself. So here in Colibrin Sergis, now we have a society that has a whole patois. All of the things that they say and the come come Kamala stuff and the story of Great Dick of, you know, and the ladies of Ariza and all of these things where even our characters adopt their way of speaking to a really strong degree. This is the stuff that the biggest fans of the Dark Tower, this becomes your calling card. This becomes your you're in the know when you can say things like long days and pleasant nights and come Kamala and things like that. When you look at the overall arc of these books and how many years it took King from when he started writing book one to when he started writing book five, it's a lot of time for King. It's a lot of time for a story to develop. And it's even the fifth of seven books. So it's like a big part of the world that wasn't revealed to us until very, very late in the game. And maybe King needed to go back to the roots of the Western to feel like he, he had place to play with, with some of those ideas. Because from here on out, it's this. All right. So we've got a few big themes of this book. We always try to look back and say, hey, what was King trying to get at here? What are we supposed to take away from this novel? And you mentioned earlier that this is really a side quest from the larger 
story of getting to the tower. I mean, they're on their way to Thunderclap, but they're pulled aside when a group of townspeople from Colibrid Sturgis reach out to them and say, hey, there are wolves coming. We need your help. You look like the type of men and women who can help us. And they're sort of pulled into this other story. But like all good side quests, there's really a point to it at the end. And it helps us get to the final destination. And what do you think that point is, Jay? Well, I think that maybe the most significant point is that this was necessary to formalize the Cotet into true gunslingers. You can't really be a gunslinger unless you're battle-tested. You have to temper the steel, the steel that Roland sees and appreciates and admires in his apprentices. He sees it in all three, Eddie, Jake, and Susanna. It's more than just the training. I think you have to fight and survive a true battle. And I think that that is approached in one of two ways in Roland's world. One is very ceremonial. It's what Roland did. It's the encounter that we see him when he faces down court and uses his hawk David to win the day. But there's another way, and that seems to be established in book four. And that way is by actually being in battle. And we see that happen with Cuthbert and Elaine. We know that at the beginning of that story, they have not yet had their ceremonial gunslinger trial. But after fighting the good man, or at least the good man's army, and taking them out, upon their return to Gilead, they are gunslingers. They haven't had to go against court or court's replacement to get their guns. So I think by the same token, Jake and Eddie and Susanna, they need to be in a battle, a legitimate fight that could cost them their lives. And they need to find a way to strategize and plan and win the day and come through the other side of that as fully formed gunslingers. We've talked about their growth as gunslingers, their acquisition of skills, their acquisition of mindset. But I think that that final tempering of the steel happens in battle. So King needed his characters to have a reason to have a battle that wasn't the final battle. If the next step is their end goal, say, they need to have a sub-battle or a pre-battle before they get to the something else. And maybe there are going to be 10 more battles. We don't know that, but they needed to have one so that we could say, okay, from this point forward, these characters are truly gunslingers 100%. Yep. That's what I think the main driving force of this side quest. In the battle themselves, they all prove themselves to great effect. You know, it's not just Roland shooting all the wolves and the horses. It's Susanna with the plates. It's Eddie with the guns. It's Jake with the guns, not only the guns, but also bringing the last couple of kids down the mountain and getting them to safety. So there's that definite skill there. And there's also the skill throughout the book of them becoming gunslingers in other ways. So they each have their own side quest within the side quest, where Eddie has to go off into New York City. Susanna has to deal with Mia, and she doesn't have the greatest side side quest, but uh, but Jake goes off to the Dogen. And so they all have their own little pieces as part of that as well. It's not just Roland leading the way and telling them what to do, but they all have more agency. One of the things that we have not talked about in these books is the fact that they each have a subtitle at the beginning, um, usually one page with just one word in R written across it. And for this book, it's resistance. And that also seems like a big theme 
for this book when it comes to King laying out those themes. Specifically, resistance is when there's a change in the status quo and sort of a the the people rising up and that's definitely the case in this book as we see through the character of Tian willingness to stand up and say hey this isn't the way the things need to be we need to make a stand at some point and that point needs to be now yep he he does that pretty well and they need to bring in this outside force to help them but the resistance in this case is a lot of it is the young versus the old so the people who are opposed to it, as you might expect, are the older townsfolk who either don't have children who are going to be taken away by the wolves or have the majority of the wealth in town. They're the bigger farms people or took the who owns the general store. They're the ones who have the most to lose, so they're not willing to resist. Whereas Tian just has a small, rocky plot that he's trying to make a living on and can barely do it. He's already lost a sister who is ruined and he's worried about his kids and he's the one who's willing to take up the charge and really turn the townspeople around. I think another way of saying that is that the people who have kids to lose want to change things and the people who have things besides kids to lose, maybe they're okay with the status quo. The question that often gets left out in these books is what are the repercussions of the resistance? So, you know, there tends to be this whole, yay, we've all won and and we we can continue on, but are there more wolves that could potentially come out of Thunderclap and come back to the Kala now that Roland and his Cotet have moved on? Um, what's going to change in the town itself now that there's been a group of people who are willing to stand up and be more forceful? I mean, will this change? What 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 are the long terms effect of the resistance, or does that interest us at all? Or is the reason that that doesn't is because the Building of a world after resistance isn't quite as fun to look at as the fight itself. There are a lot of things going on here that I think feed into the answer to your question. One is in the trope of the Western, of the gunslinger coming through town and helping out the people who need help with their resistance, you get the feeling that those townsfolk, for as much as they need and want the help, they also don't want it. They don't want these dangerous people in their midst. They don't want to have to listen to what they have to say, do what they tell them to do. They don't want to face their fears. And so a part of their fears are very much entwined with the solution or potential solution to those fears. So as soon as they have done their job, as soon as they have lived up to their promise and, and in our case here, defeated the wolves, the townsfolk want them gone. And I think that's just a trope of the traveling gunslinger Western. Yeah. Shane is nothing but trouble for the folks in town until he finally rides out of town and he just can't be there. But it's a good thing he was there when he was. Yep. Same thing with the Magnificent Seven, both the original and the relatively recent remake. The townsfolk want them gone when they're done. And every Clint Eastwood movie, you that, you know, High Plains Drifter, et cetera. I can go on with examples, but the point is, I think that what comes next is not important to us as the reader, and it's definitely not important to the townsfolk for that reason. They want all of the threats to go away, and now the only threat remaining is Roland and his team. So it's interesting. So they're willing to resist to fight the status quo, but really they want to get back to the status quo of- Yeah. What we don't like is that once in every 23 years when the wolves come- 
But we really like those 22 years in between. And if we could just have that, where it's just peaceful and quiet and no outsiders, that's what we really want. So, But I find that's the more interesting question. If you have an opportunity to rebuild your society, to reform it in a perhaps a better way, I think it's interesting to examine that question, to, to say, all right, the wolves have been vanquished. As far as we know, they're no longer a threat. Do we need to keep doing other things the way we've always done them? That's a big theme of the stand. Yeah. In fact, it's probably the main theme of the stand. But in some ways, what Roland and his Kata have done for Colibrin Sturgis is they've helped him to hit the reset button. It's not a, a complete reset. It's not like in the stand. It's more like a soft reboot. Like they just uninstalled a bad program and everything else is still there. The town didn't get burned down. Half the population didn't get killed. Actually, nothing bad has happened except for the loss of two people and the loss of a threat. Maybe things won't change. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. So Andy and the wolves were some sort of malware that they needed to run the antivirus program. And the antivirus program was Roland and the Cotet. Yeah. They're sort of a drain on the computer as well, so they need to get rid of them too. King puts it great. I mean, he's, he summarizes that this in, in one short paragraph. Right at the end of the section, when they realize Mia has run off, Roland yells, gunslingers. Had he cared to look, he could have seen the fear that lay just beneath their relief and adulation. That there is the crowd of Colibrin Sturgis. It would not have been new to him. They were always afraid of those who came wearing the hard calibers. What they wanted of such when the shooting was done was to give them a final meal, perhaps a final gratitude fuck, then send them on their way and pick up their own peaceful farming tools once more. Yep. That's it. And then Roland thinks, well, we'll be going soon enough. In fact, one of us has gone already. So the final theme or takeaway for this book is duty. Specifically, and we spend a lot of time early on in the book of Roland saying that the townspeople need to ask for help. He makes a big deal of this, and we think that that's going to be a key piece. Like, And there's a built-in fake tension of, will they ask for help? Will they not? And really, it's a moot point because Roland has already decided whether they ask for help or not, it's the duty of a gunslinger to help where we can. Even this is a side quest. Even if it's taking us away from the tower, it's really what we have to do. Yeah, there's more to being a gunslinger than shooting. Not much more, but a little bit more. Although, I don't know if I agree with that statement or that interpretation of Roland's perception of this. I think that there is a very a very carefully defined duty for the gunslinger, and that is why they have these formalized questions of the aid and sucker and all that. And I, I kind of feel like maybe because the culture that I'm from, the society based on laws which inherently leads to people being very litigious and looking for loopholes and things and stuff like that. I kind of see it as, it is my duty to offer this to you, and you need to formally accept it. And if you do, then I cannot rescind. And you must accept and continue to accept. These are the rules. But if I offer and you say, no, thanks, or if I offer and you don't ask according to the very specific language in our how we would draw up this contract, then I move on. Even though I am fully aware that you need my help, if you don't accept my help, I move on. That's the way I look at it, but that's 
again, me putting my cultural interpretation on things. There's the underlying aspect of we need to have this pre-battle to temper the steel of our fledgling gunslingers, and maybe that's part of Roland's plan too. I am going to put my apprentices through this final lesson, and they will come out the other side either as gunslingers or dead. And I'm pretty sure it's going to be gunslingers because I've trained them very well and they're very well prepared. Roland might have that angle up his sleeve too, but I don't know that he really is compelled to help if they don't want his help. I sort of took it that they felt that they would. And this is ultimately going to help Roland and the Cotet because if we can assume that these, is it 61 wolves? Is that what they finally that figure out? Sounds it, right. I don't remember. Yeah, 61 or 63 that come out of Thunderclap and they destroy them here. I mean, that's actually pretty good for them because they were about to march into Thunderclap mm -hmm. unawares of the wolves. And so them going on the side quest has at least let them know, oh, there are wolves that come out of Thunderclap. We've destroyed a good number of them and we know how to destroy them going forward. So yes, the side quest has helped them out in some ways. But yeah, that duty piece is important, I think. I'm not sure if it'll play out more, but it does build up the legend of the gunslinger and show that there's more to a gunslinger than you said than just shooting. And we've seen that before in the diplomacy. But I like this piece as sort of a lawman or, you know, a noble order of Jedi who are, who are coming through. So one of the last, and this isn't a theme more than just sort of a piece that we've talked about, is the fact that there's a lot of metafictional elements in this and stories of stories. And one thing that I wanted to point out is that King drew on one of his own stories called The Reploids, um, which hasn't been collected in any Stephen King book, but was published in a 88 collection called Dark Visions. And the story of The Reploids is about a man who is able to go through into other realities. And along the way, he's able to collect American currency that's different colors and it has different presidents on it. And that very much reflects Father Callahan's mm. story here. So we've pointed out a lot of the metafictional elements before, but the Reploids is another one where that happens. And in fact, there's a president, Chadbourne, who's mentioned in both the Dark Tower book as well as this story, the Reploids. So the metafictional pieces continue I haven't read the Reploids, but based on the title alone, I assumed it was going to be more technological in uh, nature than what you just described. That the titular Reploids would be like some sort of robots with little satellite dishes on their heads or something. So anyone read that book, feel free to give us a shout out and let us know what you thought. All right. Well, as we do when we get to the end of a book, we like to talk a little bit about book reviews and the reception of this book. This book on Goodreads gets a 4.18 stars, which puts it right in the range of most of the other books. Library Thing, 4.03 stars, which again, a little low, but in all of their rankings, everyone has the Gunslinger low and the other one's a little bit above four stars. So that continues. They don't know what they're talking about. You're the person who's giving those five-star reviews out to the Gunslinger and like, what are you people talking about? As we get into books five, six, and seven, we're able to find a lot more reviews, and that's because this is really when the Dark Tower's popularity really matched King's other books. So up until this point, the other Dark Tower books were almost as an aside, and people didn't 
they didn't get the same reception as a Stephen King new novel did. So they didn't get the full review and the full rollout, et cetera. But after King's accident and these books coming in quick succession, there was much more interest in it. And the first review I'm going to talk about is the Bookless Star Review. And the reviewer called Book Four a snooze, but says that Book Five moves. Both for and after the showdown, King stuffs the book with juice, like the big flashback in which Per Callahan reveals his past in Salem's Lot. One of the greatest cavalcades in popular fiction is back on track. Nice. It's interesting that the reviewer calls out the Per Callahan piece when both you and I said that while we liked it and it was interesting, we're not sure if it really added a whole lot to the overall Dark Tower story. Yeah. It expands on the there are other worlds than these line to a pretty large degree. So, but it didn't necessarily need to be Callahan. It didn't necessarily need to be Salem's Lot Part Two to to achieve that. Right. But then again, why not? Why not use an established character and then that just feeds into the metafiction angle all the more. Yep. So Publishers Weekly said, as the players near the tower, readers will keep finding exciting ties between the Dark Tower universe and King's other books, with links to Black House, Insomnia, The Eyes of the Dragon, The Stand, Salem's Lot, and Hearts in Atlantis. The high suspense and extensive character development here, especially concerning Jake's coming of age, plus the enormity of King's ever-expanding universe, will surely keep his constant readers in awe. This review was also interesting, Jay, because they mentioned on his upcoming probable retirement. Uh, Do you remember that when when King said he was going to be done writing books and that he only had a few more in him? And then I think it was going to be 2000 or 2001 and that was going to be it for his writing career. I remember that happening more than once, I think. It's been 17 years since, actually more like 18 years since this review and probably that many novels since then. Mm-hmm. He's got a new one coming out in May of 2018 called The Stranger that I'm looking forward to. And I think he's got one coming out later in the year as well. So, And as we've talked about before, he's mentioned potentially doing another Dark Tower book at some point in time. So hopefully uh, King is immortal and will just keep writing books. Yeah. Word processor of the gods. <laughs> All right. So Library Journal is another one that has often looked at King's books, and they said, King does not fail us. Fans will delight not only in King's continued gleeful intertwining of multiple genres, but perhaps most of all, in the return of Salem's lot, Father Callahan. More love for the father. I gotta say, I I don't remember, like, Callahan's character didn't stand out to me as, you know, like, oh, this, this is a Stephen King character I'm gonna hold on to and think about and celebrate as, as a fictional character, but I enjoyed spending time with him again in this book. I thought that he was a, a great addition to the Dark Tower story and the cast of characters that we've been spending time with. And he feels much more substantial because he is already established. He has a connection and a history and a past because of the, the nature of his pre-existence. Yeah. So the New York Times also did a review, and I think this is the first time that the New York Times has reviewed a Dark Tower book. And the first part of the review, it's a long piece. And the first part of the review is really a history of the Dark Tower, both how it came to be, how it was published, and then a quick summary of the first four novels before the reviewer delves into the fifth book. And 
the reviewer says what he, meaning Roland, carries with him maybe even weightier than that, Stephen King's literary ambitions. The Dark Tower sometimes seems like the awkward left-footed stepchild of his work. More than that, it tries to knit the bulk of King's fiction into a single universe or set of interlocking universes, and on some level even to accommodate all stories, known and unknown, into a master narrative that encompasses the whole of creation. Wolves of the Call is an agreeable and modestly mysterious adventure story and fans of the series will appreciate Jake's painful coming of age. A little quaint local color goes a long way, in reference to the call itself. Yeah, King has sneaked inside jokes into his works for years, and the Dark Tower has already incorporated elements from The Stand, Eyes of the Dragon, Insomnia, Regulators, and Hearts in Atlantis, among others. But with this latest installment, he has raised the stakes. At the end of Wolves of the Call, Roland's quartet has been broken, and one of its members is in dire peril. And then it gets into some stuff that I don't really want to get into because it might be potentially spoilery, which is odd because this reviewer has not read book six and seven, but perhaps might be a little bit on the nose in some of their predictions. Um, So I'm just going to leave it at that. But it's a very insightful review, as one might expect from the New York Times, and is a good overview of the series up to this point. Yep. So, Jay, we like to rank our books as we're going through them, and I have a feeling that my rankings might change once I get through the whole series, but I have this sort of right in the middle. I still have, unexpectedly, went through the keyhole as my number one book, and then I put the drawing of the three as number two. Wizard and Glass for my third book, and then I put this right after that. It looks like you and I have book five ranked in the exact same place among the the books. Right now, I've got it. It's my fourth book in my ranking. I still maintain that book one is the best. Book two is my second favorite. Went Through the Keyhole is my third now, and I nestle book five, Wolves of the Caller, right behind that, followed by three and four. We'll see what happens when we get through six and seven. As you were hinting at earlier, when I was back in my, this is nothing but fanfic phase, (laughs) I didn't expect to put this thing anywhere near the other books. Here I am struggling whether it's slightly better or slightly worse, splitting hairs, making these decisions. I really, really enjoyed this book. It was fun. It was a true Western in its structure, and there were so many just great moments in it that I just had a blast reading this book. No, it didn't get me any closer to the Dark Tower, but it helped me understand the Dark Tower more. It helped me understand the importance of the journey more, and it helped me to understand the characters more. And those are things that are often lacking in books of lesser quality. I guess I don't mind this diversion at all, and I had a lot of fun with this diversion. I think I was really on the fence between, is this better than Win Through the Keyhole? My final decision was it's Win Through the Keyhole outmatched it ever, ever so slightly, but it's not as good as one and two. I'm starting to wonder about my ranking of the drawing of the three as high as I have it. I have a feeling that when I get to the end of the series, I'm going to have to rethink how I thought about it. But the more I think about that book 
in terms of the series. I think as a standalone book, it works fantastic. And I just wonder how much I'll think of it when I get to the end here, because perhaps it's recency bias, but these later books have been, I think about them more having read them than I do that second they one. They were written by a different version of King, a more, a more talented and more practiced author. They're bigger and they're more ambitious. So it's easier for them to be better books, I think. And there's also something about book two that felt, we talked a lot about how the pretty dramatic change from book one to book two that we experienced, Yeah, that book two felt like this, it went from the very methodical, almost plotting pace of book one to this really fast-paced, high-action, high-stakes, but brief book that right. it was so jarring that it it was like that the roller coaster ride that was so fast that you get back online again as soon as you get off kind of thing i haven't felt like i should immediately start at page one on the other books that have followed but book two feels that way like oh i, I want to read this again yeah that was so much fun i want to read it again that's why it stayed as high in my ranking as it has you make a good point it's the, there is some craftsmanship that it suffers from that the later books don't. We did get a tweet from Sherry2271 who says that this is absolutely my favorite book in the series. I love the way the Cotet each had their own story. I love the town and I love the Manny. Sherry, thanks for reaching out to us. I can see where this might be somebody's favorite book in the series. Yeah. It's a great standalone adventure with a clear beginning, a clear end, and yet still enough of the Dark Tower mythos that we love. But great characterization in this book. I think as one of the reviewers pointed out earlier, just Jake's friendship with Ben and how that comes to an end is good. And uh, we'd love to hear from the rest of our readers too, where you, what you think of this book, what your final thoughts are on it, where it fits in, in in your understanding of the Dark Tower. So I know there's a lot of fans of these last three books and there's a lot of people who had been waiting for them for a long time and have distinct thoughts on it, we'd love to hear from you. Yes, please keep those comments coming and keep writing us those reviews on iTunes. It helps us continue to grow. We have now made it through five of the original seven and six of the final eight books. So we're heading into the home stretch here, Jay, as we move in yeah. into Song of Susanna, which is a much slimmer book than Wolves of the Kala but then leads into the monster that is the final book, The Dark Tower. So uh, we're going to sort of sprint through Song of Susanna over the next few episodes, and we are glad to have you on board for that. So uh, a lot of fun to come as we move into these last two books. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. We're not trying to rush through Song of Susanna. It's just that uh, it's a comparatively shorter book, and its structure lends itself to... Uh, one or two fewer episodes than what we've done in some of the others. We'll be reading the first four stanzas of Song of Susanna. I think I will say, Jay, one thing that has perturbed me perhaps is how King does not have a standard for how he breaks up these books. So mm -hmm. sometimes there's book one and book two, and sometimes there's chapters with sub chapters and, and headings and you know, the first book was very, hey, we've got five chapters and we had five episodes each on one chapter and that was nice. And now we're into stanzas. So a different way of breaking up these books throughout. So 
as somebody who likes order and structure, it's <laughs> I wish he was consistent there, but I'll, I'll get over it. That would have involved a uh, planning that would have spanned his entire life. I'll cut him some slack on that one. All right. Well, that's all for this episode of Two Guys to the Dark Tower came. Thanks, Jay. Thank you. Links to all of our contact information is available in the show notes. You can email us at twoguysdarktower at gmail.com. And our Twitter handle is at twoguysdarktower. You can also find us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash twoguysdarktower or join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash twoguysdarktower. If you like the show, please rate us on iTunes. Next episode, join us as we start our discussion of Book 6 of The Dark Tower, Song of Susanna, stanzas 1 through 4. For Jay Russo, I'm Sean McGurr. Thanks for listening. Some excellent silence right there.